Welcome to Rants About Humanity, a podcast where we interview guest experts with passionate opinions about important topics that don't get enough attention. Raw, unfiltered, thought-provoking perspectives with no censorship. With your host, Philip Van Houta. Welcome, 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 everyone. I am excited in the new year to talk with a new awesome guest on my show, Mike Fallett, who is a book creation artist, wizard, who published more than 220 books, books I think, by now. That's right? exactly right, man. About 220. We just crossed the threshold. And yeah, we may be going to tr- cross some thresholds. <laughs> I like podcast. it. So yeah, you're a fellow free thinker. We do this podcast just after the gathering in the Washington DC area. So it's a very special area to have this podcast about. How are you feeling at the moment about the state of the world? Thanks so much for having me. This is awesome. Been excited. Starting off the new year with some podcasts and we're starting off. This is the first one of the year. So thanks for Mm -hmm. having me. It's a weird time. There's, uh, you know, there's so much good and there's a lot of bad that's happening. And so I just was at the Washington, D.C. rally, the Save Mm -hmm. America rally. And what I saw there is is very different from what I'm seeing people talk about in the news. So I don't really watch the news. But I'll just flip through now because people are saying it's so crazy. So I'll turn it on for like a quick 10 seconds. And how they're portraying it seems like everyone got there and just said, let's break the windows. What I saw is a completely different picture. And it was beautiful. Whatever I, When I got there, I got on the metro. I mean, it was people saying the prayer, the Lord's Prayer. We get, we get to the place. There's 500,000 people before the show starts. Everybody kind of hugging and fist pumping and all excited. They're singing songs, the national anthem, God bless America. And then he says at the very end of the speech, hey, guys, Mike Pence has the ability to at least send this back to the legislators to do a re-vote, to see if this is the legit, do do an audit. And everybody's just like, listen, that's all we're here for. Just do a a fair election. We're not trying to steal it. Just see if it's real. Mm -hmm. And so he says, Mike Pence has the ability to do it. But from what I'm hearing, Mike Pence, it's not a lot of good stuff coming out from, my, from the circles. And I remember him saying that. And I'm like, what? Wait a second. This is, doesn't sound good. And then he said, let's go down to the Capitol building and cheer on those senators who need our support. Mm-hmm. So we go down there. And as we're there, we're singing the national anthem and all that. We heard three big booms. Turns out to be, I guess, gas cans or tear gas containers, whatever it is. All of a sudden, you start to see people dressed in black. I will tell you, we're Trump supporters, Mm -hmm. so we're wearing, you know, the American color Mm -hmm. flags. I see people dressed in black. I see them running around. Now, I'm not saying that this is a bad thing, by the way. They're running around. But here's what I noticed, which was confusing to me. The cops weren't doing anything. There was no fighting. Like, there was nothing. Like, I don't... Mm -hmm. Cops were happy. They're, they're letting people go and it's all this great stuff. And then all of a sudden you start to see uh, a little bit of pushback whenever you see someone break a window. Of course. Yeah. And um, there's a little bit of pushback, but it's over in five minutes. You hear people chanting. Then all of a sudden you're starting to leave and now you're hearing the people got inside. And I'm like, okay, well, they got inside and you see a picture on your phone because you don't have much reception. And you're just like, oh, they got inside. That's, you know, who, you know, they got inside. What, what are they doing inside there? And then they're showing pictures of guys with horns and all this stuff. And I don't know, and I will tell you this, I don't know if it was a Trump supporter Mm -hmm. or Antifa. 
but I do know a couple of people who did go inside and what they told me, these are 60 year old guys. What they did was they just walked in and they looked around, they saw all the things, they saw cops and the cops were really nice to them. He said, and they said, please just leave. It was, they just walked around like there was nothing. So then I met a guy who said he was inside and got hit with a paintball gun from a police officer. Really? It, it was like a funny dude. He's like, yeah, we didn't destroy anything, but I got hit with a, a paintball gun. So I'm hearing all this stuff. And then I go home and I see that they're calling everybody terrorists. And now I'm thinking to myself, well, this just makes sense with the communist agenda. You really want to make it look like the people who are trying to stand up for justice are evil. And everybody who's trying to tear everything down are heroes. Yeah, that's a strange thing for me when I hear about how they are covering it, because no matter if you agree or not, there's people who want to have justice. They're proud to be Americans. They want to make make sure that the election process is legit. And that's what they're standing for. And then I read articles that it's about white supremacy and white nationalism and anti-blacks. But I'm like, how are you combining that protest? These people are just standing up to make sure justice is respected. If they try to investigate any means and they don't find enough evidence, even if you think that is okay, then you have to accept the legislation and say, like, it's fine. But I think most of the intentions of people are there like, hey, you know, we want to be listened to. We want the electional process to be certified and we want to stand up for it. And then I read some articles about white supremacy and bigotry and etc and i don't know how they combine it because that was not my impression and i don't think that was the intention of the people gathering there <laughs> i saw a lot of chinese people i saw a lot of uh african-americans i saw a lot of hispanics they're all in the crowd we're all hugging we're all fist bumping we're all singing along you wouldn't believe how many people are there who are chinese people who are run around getting you to sign piece of paper to end the ccp so you want to talk about Trump supporters, you would not believe how many people were there are trying to just fight communism. And it's amazing to see the complete opposite portrayal from the media, which means, and this is what I've learned from working with so many entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. what the masses are being told is wrong. It's just wrong. And so when people are being, I guess you could say, woken up, they're awaking every day. From a guy who's a complete outsider, he's dangerous. So how do you make him dangerous? You make his supporters dangerous. And that's, you know, I'm starting to see this more and more. Whatever the masses are being told, it's wrong. And there's a reason for it. And I think it's such a gigantic disrespect. And it also happened when Trump got elected. It almost seemed that they acted like everybody who voted for Trump is dumb and is misinformed and is just stupid. But we're talking about 70 to 74 million Americans voting for Trump. Right. So you're actually putting that label on so many people. I think it's a gigantic disrespect for people who probably have some valid reasons to vote for this candidate. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the thing is he's a populist, right? He he's a populist candidate, mm-hmm. so which means that's the, another way of saying the people love him. That's another. That's all you got to say. Is the people love him. Now, if the people love him and he's not one of them, now it's scary for them. So what do they do? Okay. Well, we need to do certain things to make sure this never happens again. Have you noticed that social media did a complete 180 from four years ago? 
It used to be, I mean, you could put anything out there. It did help him get elected. You can't meddle with the elections because of the Russians. We have to investigate it. And now we want to investigate if they meddled with the elections. But it's about Trump. And it's like, no, 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 no. It's perfectly fine. <laughs> it's a crazy world we're living in right now when you're seeing the complete change. And uh, it's scary because it's, this is social media is a way for someone to have a voice. And now if you go against what they believe, you will not have a voice. But it's yeah, so it dangerous. Matter. It's almost like it's it's weaponized that it's used to push a certain ideology. It's almost that they are judged even above the sovereignty of the people and the countries because they are just censoring a president, censoring a president, and that's just a dangerous president, 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 president <laughs> to have. When social media can just manipulate public opinion to have the outcome, whatever that they want, and they put themselves above the sovereignty of the democratic process in a country. And I don't care. This is not about left or right, Republican or Democratic. Right. That is just I agree fatty. with you. And that's what, what's yeah. not about. I don't want a, social media is all right. I don't want that. We're not looking for that. We want fair. We want natural. We want transparency. That's all we want. What for me is pretty crazy is that people don't see the one-sided way how the media and how it's being treated. Because if you're writing in Washington, D.C., you're a terrorist and it should be investigated and you blame it on the entire people who are present and are protesting. But if you have Black Lives Matter riots, the exact same thing, then it's like, no, 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 it's a peaceful protest. Now, I don't care. Okay, either you're going to say that people are peacefully protesting in Washington and there's a couple of incidents, just as you said with the Black Lives Matter riots, or you say it with both, like, hey, there's really dangerous riots and that's unacceptable. But I see a very biased way on how they're treating both situations. It's, it's not being handled in the same way. What's different about this than it was back in the 40s with, uh, with Hitler? What's different? Basically, if you can control the narrative and if you can go in there and say certain things are not taking place, but certain things are that aren't taking place, then all of a sudden, what makes you different from the fascists and the communists back in the day? It, it, and those, that's back in the day that did, did major damage. Nowadays, you're starting to see it at a high-tech level, but it's no different. The principle is exactly the same. The reason why we love social media in the early years was because it was transparent. We were mm -hmm. able to see it for the very first time, what in the hell was happening. Now, all of a sudden, this immediate involvement, it's almost like, okay, we're going to stop the dominoes completely and then just push it the other way. Now, all of a sudden, where do you get it from? You actually have to go into these circles like the parlor. Parlor's 100% all right wing. You know, mm -hmm. you're talking about people who are finally awake, but now that's a right wing social media channel. It's a bit of a pity that you almost have to flee to be able to talk about some certain things, certain things because I don't like polarization. For me, left-wing people, right-wing people, we can all talk and use free speech. It's not about just having an echo chamber. It's sad that you have to run from certain platforms and certain circles. And uh, I don't want to do that. But there is no, no other way. So that's what we're looking at here. And what I've learned here, Philip, and I want to tell all the people out there listening to this, Okay, so it, there is a lot of bad that's happening, but I really do believe no matter what happens, and I don't know which side of your listeners are on, mm -hmm. my assumption is uh, they are free thinkers also, but mm -hmm. no matter what, there's always going to be opportunity. And so I've worked with so many people that even if the wealthy people that I've worked with, no matter what happens, that they're always going to get wealthier. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, what I will say is that they're going to get very wealthy, but the people who don't know yet or you know, just starting out it's going to get harder for them and they're also going to lose money. 
So there's going to be a two-class system. Anytime communism comes in, the people who make moves and all that and you know have capabilities and resources are going to get richer. People who are listening to the media and doing what the masses are doing are going to get poor, which means this group here in the middle is most likely going to go to the poor. But if you're smart, if you're aware and all that, you have a chance to level up. I'm not saying that I want just me to do well. I'm talking about, I always tell people, I'm going to win no matter what. My clients are going to win no matter what. Great entrepreneurs are going to win no matter what. But the people who are my friends and all that, who are not into this stuff, who don't have their own businesses, they're going to get hurt. Yeah, I think one of the ways to become independent of the state is to be an entrepreneur because then you can create freedom. And what is the essence of being an entrepreneur? Taking responsibility. And it seems to be dangerous to take responsibility and become independent. Better to just blame it on the world and be a victim. Not that I support social causes, but I just love taking responsibility. And that way I can also make a bigger impact because it's not just about me. I can take care of the people who I care about in my community. Well said. Well said. And that's the thing is you want to take responsibility. People will always say, well, you just care about yourself. That's an insane philosophy. You can't take care of your family unless you take care of your health, your beliefs, your mind, your wallet. That's the only way. Are you really going to give up power to someone else to take care of you and your family and your family's family and everyone around you? Are you really going to do that? That's not who we are as entrepreneurs. We're going to go in there and we're going to say, you know what? I want the choice if I want to put that vaccine in my body or not. I want the choice if I want to open my business or not. Mm -hmm. And I want the choice if I want to go around without a mask or not. I'm not saying I'm here to hurt you. I just want to say that I want to have the choice because this is my body, my life, my legacy, my wallet, everything. Let me be the decider of my fate. That's all. Mike, explain me this. How long do you live in America right now? I mean, I'm 36 years old. I've been here my whole life. Born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I've stayed here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. That's where the constitution was signed, right? Or not? Philadelphia. That's uh, about four hours away. Yeah. So I grew up with America, country of the home and uh, of the free and the brave. And now it's the country of the, the slave and the afraid. What happened? I would have to say you have to go back to the 60s. This is when it all changed. You know, World War II happened in the 40s. We're the king. We're the top of the world. We're the savior. We're writing all the books. You get to the 60s. You got JFK involved. All right. This is when it all starts to crumble. JFK gets assassinated. We can go into conspiracy theories all you want. There's no doubt about it. There's a lot behind that whole thing. The moment Lyndon Baines Johnson gets in, the world changes. He starts implementing so many things. And this is the start of socialism, which will eventually be communism. There are many things that happen, but one of which is people start to infiltrate the school system, the health system, the media. And obviously politics, that's always been a case, but all four of those, you control those four things and it only takes a generation for it to change. We're getting around to that generation right now. So you're talking about 60 years since the generations just coming up. Here we are. This is another battle. And every hundred years, it looks like something big is going to happen. So I think it all started in sixties and you're really just starting to see it come to light now. First. And I can't explain about this, but that I read it from my guest. Most people are like, huh? Communism? Wasn't that ended with the end of the, you know, Cold War and at the end of the 80s? Like, what is Mike talking about communism here? You know, that was something like 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't believe it either. I thought communism was something you heard about in different countries. Communism is 
one step away from socialism. So everybody, let's just get this understood right now. Socialism is basically the government giving the ability for everybody just like kind of make the same and, and having some type of checks and balances. So everybody's taken care of. Okay. That sounds beautiful. All right. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody should be taken care of. Let's be social honest. Social welfare That's, system. Let's social say, right? welfare yeah. system. People are like, hey, we already have socialism. We already have a, a welfare for the poor. All right. There are certain things that need to be put in place. And that's not socialism. That's uh, a socialistic uh, uh, a policy. All right. Mm-hmm. Pure socialism is going to be where they are going to make it very hard for people to get over a barrier. And everybody just stays in this income bracket. And then all of a sudden, you can't do certain things because of regulation and all this. So you, it's going to become harder and harder. But the rich are going to take care of the tax dollars. And so there's going to be the division of two classes. And so there are still going to be rich taking care of the poor, but the incentive and the rewards and all that is taken away. So why would you try to break out of this class when it becomes very, very hard to do so? And then every time you do so, you get hurt financially or it becomes harder some other way. So socialism is that. Now that sounds like, oh, I can deal with that. Communism is now basically saying, well, w- the government has total control of what you can and can't do. Hence, free speech, where you can go, what you can do, what you can do as an occupation, all the regulations. Now they're basically saying, you know, certain uh, genders, certain uh, uh, colors of skin, certain cultures. This is what you could do. Here's where money goes and all that. And it's total government control. We are getting to that point, and um, it's scary to see people voting for it because what I will tell you is the people who are voting for the one side don't even realize how bad it's going to hurt their kids. They don't even realize. We're Americans here. We have it so easy. We're spoiled brats, basically. Mm -hmm. And so now when you have it to a point where people are voting for something that sounds like, oh, I'm all for love. I'm all for peace. Oh, wait a second. Go back to the 40s. They said the same thing over the loudspeakers. We are here to help. We are here to take care of you. Oh, by the way, the Jewish people, get on the trains. We're going to take you outside and we're going to give you places to work. You're going to be taken care of. We're here for your safety. This was over the loudspeakers, by the way. All right. Same garbage you're hearing now. Maybe we're not getting on a train just yet. But what's scary about that is the government is can lie to you. And when the government can lie to you, what can they do to force you and not force you to do, I guess. Yeah, I think most people don't realize how big of a role culture is and culture gets spread mostly through education, Hollywood and uh, the perception that people see, which now with social media and the way how we can go on YouTube, Netflix and see everything is like more centralized. So that's often what we see in, in communism, like we see on the top of the pyramid, there is like a couple of people making the decisions for the benefit of all. But yep. now you have almost like globalist centralist structures in a communist way. But, you know, one side is communist in terms of like enforcing what they want on a population, but the other side is like capitalist, like increasing the power and getting like money even in the pyramid structure. So that is what people don't see. In the past, you had a war with communists, with flags, with tanks, but now it's a war of perception. It's a psychological war, and it's much more difficult for people to show them that because it's it's a war within the perception and the senses of people. Yeah, this is not a war with, like you said, with tanks and guns and all that. This is a this is a a, a high tech war that, that's going on right now, and the, the way you implement this is you turn their world upside down. And fear will do so. Think about it. When you scare someone, 
their logical abilities, their emotional mm-hmm. state, everything's upside down. You put something out there that could scare them to death. Now, all of a sudden, they say, well, there is no rhyme or reason because of the virus, because of this, you just take over. I don't know what to do. I'm hearing that this virus will kill you. Now, all of a sudden, these people can be coerced or they can believe anything. And so, like you said, this is not a... This is not they're coming in with guns and telling you to believe a certain way, a certain thing, or to believe a certain way. This is saying, hey, we're going to control what you're seeing. And by the way, if you go against us, you're off our platform. Oh, by the way, anybody who goes against us should be doxxed and everybody should go after them. I'm seeing it, by the way, from many of my friends. Mm -hmm. And it's scary that we're getting to this point. And now you're seeing this total division of people fighting each other, which is the end-all, be-all goal. You get the people fighting with each other. Now, all of a sudden, you can be pushed around and they're not, they're not having outside people fight coming inside. This is inside versus inside. And that's a scary philosophy that, uh, that could happen and, and change, change America forever. You got people yeah, fighting you- and this is a civil war potential. Yeah, let's talk about this later because that's also been the back of my mind that that's like a possibility. It's almost like somebody, you know, in the matrix, like, oh, you're so free, do whatever you want. And you and they sell it as freedom, but it's actually a freedom when you adhere to the limits, what they define as freedom. And when you step outside of it, oh, off Facebook, no more income, go with those crazy people on alternative platform, have to build up your followers again, and you get ostracized again. So it's this false freedom. Like, we care about the planet. We care about freedom opportunities within that very limited scope. So when you take a red pill or you step outside of it, you know, when it's like very, a lot nice hills, et cetera, and then you start like traveling and then me and Mike go just a little bit farther and then we just see all the picket fences, you know, and we see all the barbed (laughs) wires, you know, like, fuck, there's actually a limit here and we see beautiful things outside in other hills. It's like, can't go there. Yes. They have to stay in these confines, (laughs) but most people just stay in that limited scope. It's like, it's so beautiful here. It's amazing here. It's crazy. What exactly? There are the limits they're putting in place, and what's that doing? It's scaring people from even taking a risk. That's scaring yeah. people from standing up. That's scaring people from actually saying the truth. And even let's even let's talk about the personal thing, where you know you have dreams and aspirations. I know people right now, Philip, that basically are afraid to start a business because mm-hmm. they are afraid to be kicked off welfare. Now, think about this for a second. I'm dreaming of starting a business. And I've talked to a few people, one in particular, in the past two weeks. I do not want to start a business because if I start a business and now I'm on the docket to be a business owner, I lose my welfare. Now, what is that doing? Government is saying, you know what? We're going to take care of you. And if you try to go out on your own, we're not going to take care of you anymore. Now, you could say, well, what the hell? Go off on your own and do your own thing. It's indoctrinating them to here, we're going to take care of you. Don't even think about it. Don't do it. It takes away the incentive and reward of actually going for it. Whether they're actually trying to stop them by force or not, this is the mentality that's growing in America. I better not go after my dreams because if I don't, I'm going to be hurt. And so by implementing this money right out of the gate, right out of college, here's free money, here's free money, you do what you tell, we tell you. Here's You better get your COVID pass and you better do this. And as long as you keep doing this, we're going to keep giving you money. But the moment you try to go for a job that'll pay the exact same amount of money, 
Why would you do that? That doesn't make you any know sense. that makes me think about the fat slob was overweight and still a virgin living in the basement and then get his allowance by his daddy and mommy. And then as long as he's a good boy, he can stay inside the house and he's like 100%. completely immature man child. <laughs> it's incentives and rewards being removed slowly. And as long as you take that away, there's nobody's going to go after anything, be productive, go after their dreams. And that's why when you get out of school, you should have no money, okay? This is going to force you to get a work ethic. This is going to force you to get creative, force you to get around great people, force you to level up. But as soon as you say, you know what? You don't have to go after your dreams. Here's enough money. We're going to take care of you. This universal income. Now, that's not going to hurt people like me, but it's going to hurt the people around me. They're like, hey, go after your dreams. You got one life. What are you doing? Like, You want to shake them. And I think we're only seeing the start of that. That's that's socialism leading to communism because then all of a sudden they're controlled step-by-step. Step. Here's where to move. Here's your food you're going to get. Here's where you're going to go, the cars you're going to drive, the information you're going to get. And it just starts. And it's all about death by a thousand cuts there, Philip. Yeah. And what you say about the truth, I would say rather it's your personal truth. And one of the best ways to live your life is to voice your personal truth. And then sometimes you can adjust it living by your values, expressing what you believe in. There's nothing more beautiful than that because at least you stand for something. It's, uh, something. If you don't stand for anything, you will fall for anything. <laughs> right. so, the, so the fact that I can't voice my opinion or use common sense, it's almost like I feel a traitor to myself, to my authentic self, to my genuine self when I can't even voice what I'm thinking without the intention to hurt anyone, but it's what I'm thinking. It's like a thought police. It's like an internal censorship. And that, I, that just feels so dirty to have to betray yourself and censor yourself. Scary. I think that a free man or free woman out there, number one, goes after whatever they want, says whatever they want, is not, and, and basically lives their own life according to no one, just according to their own dreams and aspirations. And as soon as you become censored and you start to become fearful of what you say and what you, what you believe and all that, you're not free anymore. And that's why it's so scary to see people who, you know, they, they believe a certain thing, but they're not, a, they will never go to a rally, but they'll never say it on social media. And in my eyes, that's not freedom. All right. So to me, that's not worth living. I, I don't want that life. I want to have the ability to say whatever I want to stand up for myself because that's what sets an example. That's what inspires. That's what encourages people. And that's what motivates. And my whole purpose in life is basically to help people, you know, have a better story and to, and to live a great story myself. So if I can do that, you're not going to do that by staying quiet, not trying to shake the tree, not trying to go after big things. I mean, I look at life as so temporary that if you don't go through it and you don't go after what you want, you're going to sit there in your bed, maybe getting fed by someone with total regret in your eyes. And to me, that's just not worth it. I'm going to go for it. And uh, I hope other people do so also, because if you don't, there's that regret that's on the other side of your youth. And then the ability to, to help other people go after theirs is gone because you have stayed quiet. What example are you setting for your family, your kids, if you don't do it yourself? Yeah, you have this false consensus about nobody else is doing it, so I might not do it. Or like, why are you doing it? Because it's the rule, because else I get fined. But I'm just too much of a rebel. Like, yeah, but does it make sense or not? Yeah, but as long as they enforce it, I can't do it. Yes, you can. You can. Yes, you can. And you can inspire other people to also think like, whoa, there's other people who also think there's something fishy or weird going on. <laughs> but that conformity 
and then just fall blindly following authority. When you read anything about history, a lot of evil things have been done just by blindly following authority and just because we were told to do it. And I see now, you talked about the 40s, 80 years later, I see the exact same psychological mechanisms active again. It's almost like we learned nothing from what happened back then. Yeah, it's the, it's the blindfold. And you know what? If I'm going down, I'm going down on my own accord. I just think that people you know, get out of school and they get that job and that's when they start to die. All right. I think there's a lot of life to live. So I'm going to stand up for myself. I'm going to fight back as much as I possibly can. And to me, living is really doing me. Okay. When you soul search and you find your purpose and you find your calling, to diminish it in any way is not really living. You got to let it flow and you got to let it uh, flourish. So if you do that and you start to cut it, when, when's an, when do you stop? You know, because you might not go on that trip because, you know, I'm scared of this or maybe it's not the right time or I, I have that job. Does that lead to maybe not going after the dream business or maybe going after, you know, that type of lifestyle or when do you stop? And then when you start to really think, I really should say something, when do you say when's enough is enough? So I think everybody has these limits. People like me, we have those limits kind of far out there. And I think you have to be aware of you know, the consequences. I'm totally willing to be stand up and be scared of... Uh, that's not his vibrator, by the way. That's yeah, that's it. Right. That's the, <laughs> these, uh, these Instagram videos that keep popping in, but, up, but... But, yeah, the certain point, I, maybe I you want to sit, sit there with your child or your grandson and you want to look back and say like, hey, daddy or grandpa, at least try to talk out loud or do something about it. You know, when you're going to look at these pictures and what happened and you're going to say like, yeah, I just looked at it and did nothing like that wouldn't feel good for me to look back and say I didn't even do anything or try to change anything, you know. You got to figure out what's, what's it worth to you, I think. And so to me, it's worth it. And so like, that's why I'm willing to get on social media and fight for it. I'm, I'm willing to stand mm -hmm. up for myself because this is worth it. Some people don't know what this is. And uh, if you don't know what this is, then there is no reason to fight, I guess. As long as you know what this is and you're willing to fight for it, then there are going to be consequences. There's always going to be bashers. There's always going to be people who stand up and try to hurt you. But isn't a dream worth it? Isn't your purpose worth it? I guess that's it. And like, you know what's crazy? That when you would fight for the freedom of speech and expression, I think you also mean the freedom of expression of leftists, even if you think they're batshit crazy. But you would still I mean, say they 100%. should be able to say what they want. But when you say the same thing in the other way, they would try to censor you. So I'm not saying, yes, everybody who's conservative and right, they should be able to say what they want. No, no, everybody should be I'm able not to saying, I will never say, hey, these people need to be banned from social media or <laughs> yeah. off the news or anything. I'll yeah. never even say dox them. I don't, mm -hmm. even, I don't even care. Do your thing. Everybody do their thing. The moment you try to hurt someone, now you, you got to suffer the consequences a little bit mm -hmm. of either mm -hmm. people coming after you. But I will never say your speech should be limited. You should mm -hmm. not be able to speak. You should not be able to do this. That's what I'm, I'm saying because I'm all for freedom of speech and certain rights. I will never tell anybody Take off that mask. Take it off mm -hmm. because I'm not there to control their mm -hmm. life. And I'm not saying to anybody, don't get that vaccine. Remember, mm -hmm. so this is, this is mm -hmm. our philosophy. It, you have choice. Make your choices because it's your life and the government has no say-so over your life because you are responsible. And people always say, Philip, you probably met these people. Well, I didn't uh, start my dream business or anything because of the government. 
that's only going to get you so far. You want to be the victim? It's on you. All right. Your life, you take responsibility. It's going to get harder and harder for people to say no to the government, but you still can. And so I say take responsibility, but at least keep your options, have choice. That's it. You're responsible for dream starters and people sometimes can fall in love with a dream, but then they don't want to put in the work towards achieving that dream. I read some stories about you. Let's talk a bit about failure and about, you know, setting it up and what you learned from it, from building your businesses and making your dream come true. Yeah. So if you want to start off with failure, starting a business is not easy. When you start with nothing, I trademarked a phrase called starter from zero. This was the phrase that kind of like really connected me with an audience. I started a business in 2008, 2009, right around November is when I bought it, 2008. So I bought a business. It was a four-unit building, okay? Now, I didn't have any money. So how do you buy a four-unit rental building? Well, you find a really low-cost business or building. You get your real estate license. You pay $160 to get your real estate license. That way, whenever you make money off a transaction, you get 3% back. So obviously, if I get a transaction, great. Then there was this government plan called FHA, First Time Home Buyers Association Credit. You look for all these little incentives to buy places. So you say, okay, well, if there's a first time home buying association, I can only put 3% down on a place. Okay, well, let me use that. I'll put 3% down on a $160,000 property, which I had a little bit of save, mo- save money, which is only like $5,000. And then all of a sudden I get 3% back. So catch me on this. I put 3% down, but I'm the agent, so I get it right back. So technically no money down on a property. Think about how creative that is. And now I'm making four or $500 a month. So I'm running, but I don't understand all the laws and regulations. You will not believe how many tenants will take advantage of people. All of a sudden tenants don't pay. I'm taking a court. It takes a long time. So I start to lose money there, but now I have a job here. I leave that to start other businesses. And now I go into four, year, uh, four or five years of failed businesses straight out of the gate. And this is me living on dirt, eating bananas, you know, drinking water from the tap, being worried about the gas bill so I'm not turning on the heat and I'm freezing and I have blankets on while I'm sitting in front of my computer, which is I'm afraid of freezing because it's super cold in my place. What happened then? Were you uh, stupid, ignorant, bad investments, uh, expensive learning curve or when you look back right now? I would have to say that I didn't understand the principles of starting a business. You, mm-hmm. you go to school and you learn about like, oh, what did Apple do? Oh, what did Starbucks do? And so you start thinking really big. And so I made a lot of mistakes. And I guess what I really didn't have was vision. All right. So you think mm-hmm. about, oh, I got to create a business. I'll get a lot of people. I mean, work ethic wasn't low. It was, okay, I underestimated how long it takes for a business to go. I underestimated the success rate of a business. I underestimated so many things that... You don't have no, you have no street cred. Nobody believes you. Nobody knows who you are. Nobody has, you don't understand Google. You don't understand search engine optimization. This is whenever Twitter and Facebook and all that is pretty new still. So you don't understand all this stuff. And so when you think I'll create a business, but there are certain things like I was so obsessed with branding and marketing, but I didn't understand demand. And so Mm -hmm. I learned a couple of things like, oh, I got to keep a business simple. I really got to have vision. Oh, I got to understand about demand. Is there a demand for what I'm trying to sell? So it's a lot of these rookie mistakes. And I hear it from a lot of my clients that come to me or potential clients. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I want to take over the world and create the next Facebook. <laughs> now, as soon as I hear these type of things, I'm like, well, that's how I thought early on. 
Mm-hmm. You don't even know what you're getting into because you don't know development costs. You don't understand legal stuff where you could start a business. And if you do it the wrong way, like me, your legal fees will sink you before you even sell one product or service. So four businesses failed, but I learned all, this is a school of hard knocks. I mean, I'm telling you, it was the hardest years of my life. And then on that fifth business, okay, I realized maybe I'm doing all this wrong. Let's break this down to something so basic that's not that sexy, that's not that attractive, but I think people will buy it. Mm-hmm. And it was a dog product service, all right? And it was a direct-to-home dog product service. And it was so cool to talk about, but I mean, my passion wasn't really 100%. Mm-hmm. It was just like, I need to survive. I need to see if I have what it takes to make a business work, to make a profit, to make a dollar. And finally, it worked. And then I'm thinking to myself, what made this business work compared to the other ones? Okay, there's a couple principles that I've learned. And I wasn't making a lot, but I was making more than I was paying. So that to me is a successful business. Are you making enough that pays Mm -hmm. for all the expenses and you can live off of it? So I write a book and that's whenever people started to take me more seriously. The book changed my life. And all of a sudden when I wrote the book, so thinking about this, I wrote, did the dog product service. I wrote a book. Now all of a sudden my brand starts to build up that I'm a best-selling author. It's fantastic. And they say, hey, will you help me with my book? And I got flooded with messages. I thought to myself for the very first time, this is the key. There's a demand that mm-hmm. it's attraction marketing. They're coming to me. I'm not selling it. They're coming to me for help. So what do you do as an opportunist? You say, I can help you and I'm going to charge you this. Bottom dollar prices builds up my testimonials, my credibility in the market. And all of a sudden referrals start coming through. So I let go of the dog product service. I went all in the book publishing and it just skyrocketed from there. So all these mistakes, everything I do is not by accident now. It's sort of like, okay, what failed before? All right, just basically do the opposite or think in a different way and use it to your advantage. Yeah, I use the same thing with my clients. I call it the CSI method, which is clarify, simplify, implement, and then you reiterate those steps. And oftentimes it's not lack of implementation. It's just lack of clarity or lack of simplification because they're overwhelmed because they're all over the place and they haven't tested that off or tested themselves, tested their skills. So that makes it a lot difficult to to get feedback and uh, see what hits the bonsai, you know? Yeah. And I think that a lot of people start off by saying, let me create a, a product. And uh, when you say you create a product now, it's very difficult to differentiate yourself from people. When you start off with a service, this is what I learned is you start off with a service. Now, you basically can create a business. You can differentiate. You can be pivotal. Uh, you can be real nimble. All right. Maybe there is a business out there like me, but you know what? With my message and my ability to market, I can beat them. I can, I can beat them. It might be the same product, same service. But now I can differentiate my service very fast. I don't need to go back to a molder to change anything. I don't need to go to an apparel line to change anything. Or I don't have to worry about costs of anything because I'm a service. I dictate it. And so I think there's always a demand for people who can maybe make things a little bit easier on people or uh, they, you know, because your likability factor. You can always win as a service early on. Now, when you start to make money, now you start to get your money working for you. You could say, I can control this service, but let me put it into this product. And hopefully this product will scale because products are a lot more scalable. So you start to make money that way. And I think that as long as you have clarity, I'm glad you brought that up, of how you're going to do things at different stages. If you're not clear on things, you're going to screw up. You're not going to know which decision to make. There's going to be a lot of problems that come your way. 
and you're going to be overwhelmed. So clarity, keeping it simple, and also boiling it down to something that's controllable by you. If you can't control it, if you have to worry about these programmers building it for you, or you have to worry about some person taking care of something before you can even sell it, now you're in kind of some deep Yeah, because by, by minimizing it, simplifying it, clarifying it, you can manage it. But some people, they already have like a whole team and or, or they do it themselves and the website and the funnels and the copywriting. Like you only have like 24 hours a day. What I love about a lot of entrepreneurs is they have a lot of willpower, perseverance. Sometimes that become a bit of stubbornness. And sometimes even worse, that sometimes can become like foolish pride. And then they say like, hey, uh, why will it work? Because I like it. <laughs> yeah, right. Because, because I think it sounds good. And I then say like, sorry, dude, but marketing is not about what you think or see. It's about what your ideal client sees, you know? Sorry to break it to you, but this happens so much that they just think like, I like it. I've been through the journey. So my ideal client will probably also like it. Yeah. And, and maybe what you're saying there also is that people overestimate their abilities or their want five years from now. So like if you build a certain type of business, maybe you could do it, but maybe you're overestimating that it pro- it might work in two years, but you're thinking that might make work in three months. No, no, no. You need to do a lot of things before. And that's the thing is that there are a lot of great business ideas that are phenomenal, but maybe they don't realize how much capital it's going to take or how long it's going to take to develop and have a market accept it. Because sometimes when you build a service or a product, you need to educate the, the audience on it. And if you don't have, if you're thinking like, oh, I can do all this in a week or three months, you are now going to cut your own throat because you're planning on that happening. And when that doesn't happen, how long do you let it ride out before you either lose total confidence, the market doesn't believe in you, or you start to get, you get to a certain point, you're like, okay, well, I got to pivot. And then all of a sudden your identity changes so much that you don't even know what you stand for or what problem you're there to solve. Because when you have a vision that is believing in something that's not yet manifested, but to keep on believing in that without physical proof, social proof, feedback, that's difficult. That starts to eat away at your soul. But when you see like this is working and you have the vision, kind of reinforces itself to become bigger and bigger and then see like, yes, it clicks now, right? Right, right. So it's like, you need to see fast results, I would have to say, like, you know, to, to really believe and have other people believe in you. So it, it, and, and I guess this is not something that happens overnight. I think you really do have to go through this period of soul searching. Mm-hmm. And four years of failed businesses doing a lot of soul searching kind of maybe got me more mature as a business person faster than anything else. And maybe I'm really thankful for those failures. I really, I really wouldn't be this person without them. So I'm thankful, but I will tell you that people make those mistakes and then it, w- it either goes one of two ways, Philip. You either get really cynical about the business world or capitalism or those who make mm-hmm. it. You get really cynical. I've seen people do this, by the way. Oh, you just got lucky. Oh, you did this, or you found that person, or maybe you got it because of, you know, you stumbled upon this in the idea and it's not really your idea. That's the cynical people. And they, that's, they get really pissed off about success. Or you say, you know what? I'm going to fail until I make it. And I'm going to keep learning and learning and learning and nothing's going to stop me. So even if I go broke, I'll get a job that pays the bills until I have the next idea. Or I'll just stay as broke as possible, doing the bare minimum as long as I can keep building. So I think it goes one of two ways. And uh, a lot of people, unfortunately, take the first route. I'm really curious. 
did you see any connection between your your mindset or your self-love when you started to focus more on being okay with yourself and working on your physical mind state, addictions, and et cetera, and then started impacting your business? Or was it more the other way around when you had success in your business only then was more self-love there and more stability? I'm curious about that. Uh, that's a great question. And I, I'm going to take the boring answer and I think it's both, right? Mm-hmm. They play off each other. I think it has to be. But what I will say is that it's very lonely. You probably get this. To start a business from nothing, it's lonely. You have to eliminate yourself from social circles. You have to eliminate all noise that plays no, gives you no advantage in, in the business. It, it Take away every distraction possible. Dating, um, fun, excitement, all that. I'm not saying the starting business isn't fun. I'm just saying like every external thing. I gave up riding motorcycles and dirt bikes. And but oh, you hit something. And I think for a lot of young men and entrepreneurs, this will ring true like dating and apps for most entrepreneurs, dude, it's such an energy and time drain. <laughs> energy, it'll kill you. And if you take, if you have nothing, no business, and you're trying to get this thing to grow and you take your energy away from it for an hour, or two hours, you're hurting yourself. You're hurting this. So, and I'm not saying you can't. Didn't you also have, because I had this when I was more successful or I was well, sometimes I had these vixens almost like luring me away from my path. And then I'm like, fuck, I was doing so well. And then I had to recover again. Did you witness the same or not? I have to say that when success comes your way, it's a little bit easier to be confident, right? It's Mm -hmm. way more easy to look, you know, more attractive when success is in your favor. So Nobody wants to date an entrepreneur who's starting out, but they all want to date an entrepreneur who's making good money. I will tell you that right now. There's freedom. There's that excitement and all that. So it becomes easier down the road. And I will tell you that when you start to get back into the, into the world, it's, it's a shell shock because it becomes a, a, a distraction. There's a, there's a stage that I, I reached and I was like, well, I could date. I could really date some girls and, mm-hmm. and, and run my business and it's not going to hurt me that much. But what does happen from that are some pitfalls of if you date the wrong person, it, it becomes a major drain. It becomes drama. It becomes intensity. And they don't even realize it, or they probably do realize it, how much of a drain that is on you as a person. So you become a different person. Unless you're super mature. Like I realized at a certain point, like I can, I can figure out how to problem solve and what to do. Do I give my energy there or not? To someone who's just getting started with that, it could be really scary that you put your energy in the wrong person or the wrong thing. It'll kill everything else that you took five, 10 years to grow. So it's scary that it can go away like that. You got a lot of experience with uh, book covers and book creation. Are there some kind of nuggets that you know that really works well or these very basic supermarkety titles working still or a hot babe on the cover? Does that work? Did any pattern that you know this from publishing so many books? Yeah, so there, there's a few tricks. What you're looking for now. So we're living in a society where there's more distractions than ever. We're looking at so many different advertisements and all that. So simplicity is going to win on the cover. What we always try to shoot for is three words. If anybody can remember this, this is three words on the cover is the main. And then you break it down in the subtitle as something that's so easy to grasp in five seconds where it's how to or the guide to. Okay. You keep those words. This eliminates all noise and all miscommunication. 
So how to, or the guide for or the guide to whatever it is, but three words for the title colors. We always shoot for two dominant colors. People think when you get a book, mm-hmm. it's going to, let me give you a, he didn't take my yeah. advice on it, but, <laughs> but I mean, it's a great title. Yeah. I saw the cover, by the way, people have to look it up that book by who is that guy who runs these ultra marathons, that ultra athlete. Do you know, do you know who I mean? T- Tim Wilkinson? No, no, no. That, that, that black guy who runs so much. Like, Jocko Willick. Uh, yeah, yeah, the other um, one. Oh, the other one. I know you're talking he about. He has such um, a horrible cover. You can't. He has almost. a terrible cover. Yeah. We didn't do that. <laughs> Here we go. This is, this is probably one of my top clients that uh, mm. everybody might know. But magician versus mule, okay? You're talking about, and whenever I said two dominant colors, I look at black and gold, black and gold. Mm -hmm. There's a third one here. So you could say three colors, Mm -hmm. but there are two dominant colors and then one other one. Black and gold stand out, okay? All this one too. Elevate to great. This is a fitness coach, high up there with Nike, okay? Elevate to great. How to live your most fit, focused, and free lifestyle. There is no miscommunication with that. Elevate or the magician versus mule, the ultimate guide to lifestyle, wealth, and freedom. So if you try to get too creative and you try to get too wordy or too many colors, you are going to lose the audience. There's a vanity thing in people that says, I need it to be different. I need to be special. They want to be unique, right? You want to be unique, right? I'm talking about effectiveness, what works to you, for you to communicate your message to the reader, for them to know what you stand for. And this is the other little tidbit I will say about covers. Remember that anything on your cover, those three words or anything is going to be associated with you forever. It's your brand. Magician equals Mark Evans. Mm-hmm. So Mark Evans equals magician. So when you hear the something, you say, Mark Evans, oh, he's the guy who wrote the magician book. Mm-hmm. Oh, Mark Evans must be something about like, he must be everywhere mm-hmm. at once or some type of cool. Oh, what, what, what's he known for? Mm-hmm. Elevate to great. Brian Nunes, he must be known for something about greatness. Like that great mm-hmm. book, you know, greatness equals Brian Nunes. This is somehow in people's brains, word association with names. And if you could start to do that, whether they read the book or not, you become known for something. And that is going to help you in everything you do. It becomes an asset for life. So to summarize, three words I would shoot for, how to or a guide for the subtitle, three colors, but two dominant ones particularly, and be very weary of the words you use. I do not like negative words on the book. I like positive. So therefore, it's associated with you forever. If the current moment in life would be a book, what chapter do you feel you're in right now? (laughs) Yeah, the title for it. I would have to say... There are four stages to a business. There's the survival, there's the maintaining, and there's the growth. And then there's true scale, okay? Mm-hmm. I would have to say that I am in the growth stage. So if there was anything that I would have to say my chapter of life is, it's pure growth. And the reason why is because I'm in, you know, it's 2021, I've worked with enough clients, I have enough of a uh, pool of resources, I'm in enough groups that finally paid off a lot of debt, cleared a lot of mistakes. I'm very happy where, where, where I'm at. I'm building the right things. I have three different businesses and making a lot of moves. And so I would say that I'm doubling down and this is all about growth. So that would say, uh, that's a very good question. And I'm glad you asked that because I, two years ago, very different. Five years ago, very different. Five years from now, could be even much more different. Could be in, a, could be in scale mode. 
Sometimes when I look at your profile, I think of like Mad Max, but without the uh, apocalypse scenarios because you love freedom and you love your bike. Have you ever considered in the future just living the van life or going off grid? Great. Oh, man, you're asking great questions. So no, first off, what's funny is <laughs> I'm building the Mad Max car. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. So I have, I basically have two Mustangs. The car in Mad Max is not the Mustang, but I have two old Mustangs. One of which is beautiful. It's like perfect. And that's my beautiful car. But I'm also having an old Mustang that looks exactly like the Mad Max car. So I love that look. I love the rugged, the, you know, and there's that masculine feel to it. So I, that's pretty cool that you brought that up. And I just watched Mad Max last night. So great point. Anyway, yes, I drove across the country in my Jeep Wrangler. I got a Jeep Wrangler. I love the whole freedom, taking the top off, going wherever. When you say live in the the van life, it's very tough for me to do that because mm. I think that I love, I love having my place where everything's at. I start mm. off with my day with my eggs and, you know, I get my scheduling, my running. I love the freedom of going and traveling. So I will do a lot more traveling and I will do a lot more camping, but I will not just do the go off grid and do it for eight months to a year. Mm. So I still need my routine that keeps me healthy and sane and my sleep schedule, I'm a big believer in sleep schedule. If I, if that gets thrown off, my life is upside down. I don't drink alcohol. I don't do any drugs. Mm -hmm. I'm very particular about you know where I put my energy. So if I were doing the van life and I did the Jeep across America, I did that for, what was it? Two and a half, three weeks, somewhere in there. It was the most amazing thing, but it beats you up. You know, mm -hmm. you, you, you start to not know where you're sleeping at night. You start to not know what you're going to eat. And you can only do it for so long before it takes a toll on your mental state and your health. So going off the grid, maybe not, but uh, I will do a lot of camping, uh, especially now that I can have the freedom to do that. Sometimes you make these quirky videos with the, the background that you replay some scenes. Does a part of you ever wanted to be an actor or have you ever considered it in the past? Mm, I would have to say I probably thought of it years ago. I could never live in the Hollywood world. <laughs> I could never do it. Surviving as a conservative in the Hollywood world, it's like... <laughs> they would they would fire me on day one. They would say, let me pull up your Instagram. Oh, right. You're, yeah, don't even audition. You're out of here. So I would have said, no, I'm not into the Hollywood life. I don't want to be an actor. I love, I love entertainment, but I will, you know, I love entertainment. I love showmanship. So there's a piece of me with that. Being an entrepreneur allows me to do it all. All right. I love to write but I don't want to write every day. I just love to write. I want to help people build businesses. And, and so my philosophy is this. If I can break me down into three words, it's create, build, play. As long as I'm creating something, whether it's for me or for clients, whether it's I'm building something, a business for me or with other people, or, and I'm able to play and just kind of have fun with everything. That to me is a happy life. So as long as I'm doing that, entertainment, showmanship, definitely a piece of it, I just don't want to do it every day. And there's a reason why I think is there's a, there's a fake aspect to it. Cause when you are on camera, it could be the third take or the fourth take. Mm -hmm. I just don't like that every day, small bits, small pieces. I could do it, but I don't like the whole fake aspect of that world. Mm -hmm. So I like to just be natural, authentic, real, turn the camera on, click record, whatever we get, we get, and that's it. So I love that aspect of it, but entrepreneurship allows me to do everything that I love. That's what I love about it. Yeah, and that's good when you have a framework and a playing field within which you still have novelty and you can do different things because else you get bored, but still a framework makes it also easier for your ideal client to find you, right? If right. people want to find out more about you and the book uh, creation that you do, where can they check out more about your work? 
Yeah, the best place probably is if you just went to the website for the book creations, dreamstarterspublishing.com. I also own a company called uh, Mike's Inner Circle. So if you're looking to just like get connected with entrepreneurs, uh, right now it's only open for my clients and they're going to be a part of it for, for life. But you'll see if you're listening to this now or even later, it'll probably be open to the public, mikesinnercircle.com. And that's probably the two best ways to ever get in touch with me. Or you can find me on Instagram at the dreamstarter. Let's end with a little rant. Let's say there's a little mic running around and you're recording a message right now to send them in the future. What is something you would give as a message, even if you would be missing in action that you could send to him just as a takeaway? Wow. Wow. That's a tough one. That's, a, that's pretty, pretty deep there. But I would say the word dream, the reason why it means so much to me is because like, it's what I stand for. You know, You dream and then you do. And so if I were to talk to my future kid or for somebody out there who mm-hmm. is part of me, I would say I'm 36 years old. The older I get, the more I see people let their dreams die. And I can mm-hmm. look into their eyes and I can see them not be the same person they were 10 years ago. And I can see them start to age. And people still look at me now and they're always in awe of like, how can you do this? And how can you risk all this and all that? It's because I didn't let the dream die. The dream is never ending. If I make a million dollars tomorrow, that's not the end of the dream. That's I just got to keep looking for other things to keep me happy and busy and growing as long as I'm creating, building, and playing. So if there was a little guy out there, a little girl, figure out that dream and never let anybody get in between it. Because if they do, you're going to feel really bad about yourself and your life some day in the future. Amen, brother. It also relates to an article that I read, the top five regrets of the dying of somebody who interviewed people who were about to die. And number one was, I should have lived a life according to my terms and not what other people expected of me. So I think it's an amazing message to end the podcast with, man. Thanks so much, Mike. Thanks for having me, man. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, share, and leave a comment. And if you're a coach or consultant and you want to scale your online business or maximize your productivity, check out the show notes to find out more about Philip and his coaching programs. Rent over.